Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Thursday edition of the show, Scoops with Danny Mac. My name is Dan McLaughlin, and it's great to be with you on a Thursday. It's going to be a beautiful day, so get on out there. Socially distanced, of course. Tanner Hendrickson is our producer and engineer. And the text line is open, 65780-65780. And uh, we're going to visit with Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News. He is coming up. We'll talk about what's happening with the virtual winter meetings. But um, the first thing I want to get into is John Mozalock. I was on the Zoom press conference yesterday. A lot of interesting things that he talked about. And for most fans, I think front and center, one way or another, whether you want them back or you want to see the Cardinals move on, from these two players, it's Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Where are they right now with those two? Uh, certainly having clarity on them would, would be helpful, yes. As I stated from the beginning, that we are keeping, you know, the pulse of both trade and, and free agent market. And, you know, I don't envision a, a scenario where we're going to feel like we were left at the altar. But I suppose... Um, on any given year, that's possible. Patience, something that John Mozalog talked about a ton. He said the payroll not quite in set in stone yet. They have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like. And as I look like uh, look at and what the market like look, uh, look like for Yadier Molina, you know, Gary Sanchez going back to the Yankees. McCann looks like he's going to the Mets. Um, what's the appetite for a two-year deal for a 38-year-old catcher? Outside of St. Louis, I'm not so sure. It just seems like a lot of those signs are pointing back towards Yachty coming to St. Louis, which is something I'd like to see. It would be a two-year gap then to fill to get to Herrera. That's something to think about. Is Andrew Kisner ready to take the role? That's something to think about. So all those moves should be decided here very, very shortly. Now, he also was asked about positions offensively that need improvement. Obviously, not every position is open but there is some areas where we feel we can upgrade. And, you know, we know we're not gonna be able to do that in every single spot. So, you know, obviously there's gonna be a lot of factors that drive where we end up um, trying to improve. And, and so, you know, ultimately I think for us, that chapter hasn't been written and we're gonna allow ourselves to be patient and uh, see where these markets take us. So left field, O'Neal, Bader, Fowler, Lane Thomas, Justin Williams. Don't forget about Austin Dean, who had a very, and I mean very short run for the Cardinals. Looked good in the alternate camp. Spring training could dictate some of these things, what the Cardinals may want to do. And there's got to be a decision at some point. And this is where the Cardinals, even with a plethora of outfielders that are probably going to be here, um, one of these guys could DH, but we still don't know if there is going to be a designated hitter in baseball. Why? I have no idea. I think it's crazy. So do you think about the DH or adding a bat, Mo? Well, I think all National League clubs, I don't want to speak for them, but, you know, knowing what the rules would be would be helpful in terms of, you know, roster construction. When you when you think about the DH in general, just in terms of, of our team, it seems like a good place to start to try to get more offense. So um, in, in regards to having clarity on that or understanding uh, sooner rather than later would be better. But uh, you know, I'm not sure when we're going to get that answer. So just again, remain patient. Patient, patient, patient. That was the uh, theme of the day. It seemed like with Mo talking about it on the crossover with um, Randy and Michelle, you know, since this ownership group took over in 1996, they, 
brought in Tony La Russa. They won in 96. 97 was a down year. 98, you had a couple of uh, months of Mark McGuire. Excitement uh, of 97. 98 was incredible. Um, 99, you know, McGuire hit 65, and the place was packed. So they went out and spent money, and that was when they got Veers and Kyle and Edmonds and Renteria, and those players came in, and the nucleus was built uh, for that great run. And they've really been on a really good run ever since. I mean, it's as good as anybody, if not the best, in the National League. I don't really remember. I don't think there's been a losing season since I've been alive, or at least one that I can't remember. They've had 13 consecutive seasons above 500 since Mosellock took over as GM or president of baseball operations. The only team that has had more appearances in terms of games and postseason play since 2000, the Yankees. So this has been a hell of a run that we're on. So the expectations, and rightfully so, uh, when you follow the Cardinals, they're really high. You know, the, the, the idea of tanking or the idea of a complete rebuild, no. The expectation is win every single year and that's not a bad thing that's a good thing and so mo was asked about are you surprised by fans and and the anxiety at times sometimes that is associated with an offseason or a team no not really <laughs> um sit in this seat you kind of hear it all the time um I, I would imagine you know it's a little bit of of always sort of what's next you know flavor of the month what's popular and you know, even when you go out and, and do something big, like go out and trade for Paul Goldschmidt, it's then what's next? So, like, I think like try to appease that type of uh, of voice is virtually impossible. So, again, I think the the way we try to do it is we, we take a club that we believe in, that we uh, hope for, and, and and we put it out there. Um, I do think our fan base, though overall does have appreciation for the, the continuity and really perpetual success of this organization. Um, you know, it's not like we've had, I mean, I'm sure there's some people in our fan base that would like us to, you know, be a last place team for a year or two and, and kind of go all in. Um, I imagine there's a portion of our fan base that kill us if we thought like that. And I would imagine there's people that wish we would just go all in every year and regardless of circumstances. So it's, I understand that, that there's some angst out there, but I also understand that there's some people that still love the Cardinals and um, are proud of our history. Expectations. And that's not a bad thing. Now you could say potentially, and the Cardinals in the central division, I think are expected to win. This is a bad division right now. Uh, especially when you look at what the Reds have just done. The Cubs losing Schwarber, Almora. Not that Almora was a difference maker offensively. Schwarber, though, could be. Cardinals have very good pitching. That's going to keep them in games despite a lack of offense. So even in what could be, quote-unquote, a transition year with the final year of Matt Carpenter and his deal, Dexter Fowler and his deal, you don't know about Yachty and Wayno. Uh, you look at couple other guys and Andrew Miller, Carlos Martinez. That's a lot of money off the books, a lot. And then you get post-pandemic and you have that money at your disposal and cost-controlled young pitching. For instance, the 314, Danny Mack, love the show. We hear all about this talented pitching. Most of it cost-controlled. Every team in baseball wants pitching. So if we have that much, why not trade for that uh, talented position player? They could. That's a good point. They might do that. So the point is, is that I don't think you're ever going to see under Mo that they're going to be tanking or saying that, well, we just don't have enough to win. 
That's not the case, especially with the kind of pitching that they have. He was asked also about can the team improve without changes to this roster. One is I am an advocate for for fresh faces and and trying to keep a, a environment that feels refreshing and new and 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 exciting. But when you enter an offseason like we are entering and you have two legacy players that are entering free agency really the first time, it, it poses a much different variable than just simple change for change. And then you couple in a pandemic where you have a different type of economics or finances that you might normally have you're, 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 you may not have the same flexibility as as pre-pandemic thinking of, of being able to do that. And there lies the problem where we have a lot of, of, of different variables that we're trying to, to capture and resolve and still try to maintain that, that, that club that we're excited about and believe in. And the one thing that you have to always remind yourself too is of, of the current team, especially when you're talking about some of our younger outfielders, even someone like a Tommy, Tommy Edmond or, or a Kisner, you know, these young players, it, it's hard to say how, it's hard to judge their 2020 in many ways. And so, um, you know, I don't want to give up or just not keep trying to see what we have there because I think last year it's just tough to judge. So you couple all that in and um, there lies a little bit of uh, why this is a difficult offseason for us and, and we have challenges. But you know what? Those are just excuses. But I was just trying to give you a little bit of background on like how we're trying to think through all this. But, you know, I, I certainly think it's, it's, it's not unhealthy have fresh voices but when you have legacy voices it makes it a, it's a little bit uh, trickier when, when you're navigating those. John Mosaloc, president of baseball operations long visit with the media yesterday about 45 50 minutes we'll get into more of that coming up later in the show also a bunch of texts coming in on the text line I'll try to rip through those in our third segment 65780 on the air comfort service text line more of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin back with you on 101 ESPN. Joining the holiday spirit by contributing to our 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser for the Little Bit Foundation. You can donate at least $25 online between now and December 14th, and you'll receive a complimentary 101 ESPN t-shirt as a gift for your donation. 12 days to donate, 12 days to score that free 101 shirt with your donation. Your $25 donation helps the Little Bit Foundation provide a backpack of school supplies to a local student in need. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Massage Lux. And you can find all the details and make your donation to our 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser right now at 101ESPN.com. Let's talk a little baseball. We have Ryan Fagan, and Ryan is over at the Sporting News. He is covering baseball. He is the senior writer for the Sporting News. And, uh, and Ryan, it's always great to hear your voice and to talk a little baseball with you. I, uh, I just wish there was more to talk about. That, that's the problem. <laughs> 
it has been a slow off season and and we knew it was going to be a slow off season but it still feels weird that it's <laughs> this slow i mean we've had a, a couple of trades lance lynn goes to the white Sox. we've had a couple of free agent signings which you know the royals have been the most um, aggressive team in the off season which is a strange sentence to hear especially cuz no doubt they're not really considered contenders next year necessarily but you know i think you know this is a market that if you want to be bold if you want to be aggressive there are opportunities to buy low early which almost never ever happens but i think that's one of the things that makes this off season so unique and about the 3,000th way it's unique. So you've probably been asked about 3,000 times uh, <laughs> about Yachty and about Wayno. Um, yeah. What do you think? I mean, are, are you starting to see a market develop for either one of these guys with some of the signings that we've had? Well, you know what? The, the Mets rumored to be um, closing in on a deal with James McCann, who's had a couple of good years with the White Sox as a catcher. Um, I think that market is starting to develop a little bit. You know, listening to to John Mosaic talk uh, to media members the other night. Um, he talked about how Wayno and Yachty were um, priorities. You know, they really want to try to figure out what's happening with them and then they'll adjust. Otherwise, you know, I don't think the Cardinals at least publicly are promoting this as an off season where they're going to do a lot of work in terms of bringing in a lot of different people, a lot of big names. So I think it makes sense that, that uh, keeping legacy guys like Molina and Wainwright um, is going to be important. That said, there's a market outside of St. Louis for Yadier Molina and what he brings to the team. There's a market for guys like Adam Wainwright and what he brings to the team. And, you know, once they get to free agency, things can change a little bit, you know? Um, so I, I'm curious to see how it develops. I, I would imagine that they wind up back in St. Louis, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if either or both of them um, winds up somewhere else, and, and that will be weird. Absolutely. Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News, my guest. And, and Ryan, you mentioned John Mosellock, and he spoke yesterday to the media. I was on that call, too, and, and you know he said that essentially here in 2020 and 2021, so follow me here, he said that, this upcoming January would be like 2020s right now, December. Right. Okay. Right. So you kind of follow your, your, you know, a little puzzle that he's got going there. But the point being is that the movement in baseball that we normally have in December, he anticipates we're probably going to have that in January. So because of that, and with all the non-tenders and some of the free agents, do you anticipate this thing getting busy right after Christmas or at least maybe first, second week in January, something like that? I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that there's ever going to be a time with this off season where there's rapid fire, big signings or big deals. I think it's going to be spread out. Um, you know, it's, it's different this year, obviously with the, the winter meetings being virtual um, because so much of the winter meetings, the deals that happened in, you know, Mosaic talked about this um, in his, in his press conference, zoom press conference. And, you know, writers have talked about this ad nauseum over the past week, I'm talking about missing the the winter meetings because a lot of those deals happen in in conversations that start up because you see someone in the lobby right. or you get in a, a hotel elevator on the way up to the suite and it starts a, a conversation and that obviously doesn't happen um, with Zoom meetings those chance random things um, conversations don't get started so I think you're you're missing a little bit of that and people talk about deals that happen at the winter meetings and there are deals that are finished at the winter meetings but so many of the deals that happen in the weeks after that 
our results of conversations that started at the winter meetings. And so you're missing some of that. So I'm just not sure that there's ever going to be a time where you see three big signings in a day or two trades in, in, in back-to-back days. So, yeah, I think it's going to be spread out. We've seen spread out off seasons. I remember when Bryce Harper signed with the Phillies, he did it after spring training had started. Right. So, you know, I think it's going to be more situations like that, especially as we're waiting to find out whether there's going to be a DH in the NL this year. Any uh, of the non-tenders surprise you first? And secondly, which ones do you think could be a fit in St. Louis potentially? One that surprised me the most probably was David Dahl um, with the Rockies for a couple reasons. You know, I know he's had he's had issues being uh, staying healthy. You know, he's spent a lot of time on the DL. He hasn't yet had a full major league season, but he's 26 years old. He can play all three outfield positions, and he was an All Star in 2019. It's not like he was an All Star in 2016. He was an All Star in 2000. 19 the last full year um and he's a guy that was only scheduled to make about two and a half million you know and and the rockies have basically said we're cutting everything as much as we can and he was one of the guys they deemed expendable so you know he's a guy that i would imagine there will be a, a decent little market for he's not going to get a huge long contract because um obviously the injury issues but he's a guy that could fit in a lot of places you know there's some power out there and you know the cardinals have long needed that upgrade in power um and it kind of depends on whether the nl is going to have the dh and it's 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 beyond insane to me that we are more than a month into the offseason and we don't know what rules we're going to be playing with going into the 2020-21 season you know but if there isn't an a DH in the NL. I mean, a guy like Kyle Schwarber makes a lot of sense. A guy like Eddie Rosario makes a lot of sense. Nelson Cruz makes a lot of sense. And, and I think there's a chance if you're willing to act early and give a guy like Schwarber a two-year deal, a Rosario, a two-year deal, because whether or not the DH is in the NL in 2020, it's probably going or 21. It's probably going to be there in 2022 and going forward. So again, if you want to be bold, and make that move, there's an opportunity here. I think fans and and some of us, all of us maybe, are are wondering, why isn't that decided? I've tried to explain it. It's like the negotiations are when you go into a restaurant and you say, well, it's a la carte, right? I'll take this and I'll take that and I'll (laughs) do a little bit of this. Well, in baseball, it's just the negotiations on these things always seem to be a full plate. Like we have to get everything instead of just saying, yeah, that makes some sense. Let's do it. I, I just don't understand that. And from the player's perspective, you know, talking about a Nelson Cruz or a Marcelo Zuna, which some teams will only yeah. view him as a DH, you've just eliminated half of his potential suitors if you don't have a DH. So they've got to get this thing figured out. And it's it's detrimental to teams trying to figure out what their roster is going to look like, too. So that's the thing. It's, it's not just bad for the players. It's bad for both sides. But the truth of it is this. As you know, the CBA expires after next season. Right. Right. It's going to be a contentious contentious um, negotiation and there's going to be rumors of all sorts of work stoppages and that's just going to happen whether i mean whether the stoppages happen or not i don't know but there's going to be talk about it because everyone's going to posture big and everything right now between mlb and mlbpa is a negotiation it's a give and take and i think that the dh in 2021 is being used as some sort of bargaining chip i don't think there's any other way to look at it um, that's the only reason that something like that that's that important 
I mean, imagine an NFL team not knowing if you're going to be able to put somebody at left tackle right <laughs> during during the, the upcoming season. I mean, that's crazy, right? So I think that that's the only thing that that I can imagine is it's being used and withheld as some sort of bargaining chip um, towards future negotiations, which. You know, it, it's it, it's not a good look for baseball. It, it really isn't. No, it's not. And Cohen now is in New York. So they, they've got a, yes. an owner with $15 billion, and we're all kind of waiting for him to spend. He hasn't quite done it yet, but uh, he's going to be a game changer when it comes to baseball, obviously, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you, f- you feel bad for Mets fans who have had to deal with that ownership group that they've had there for a long time. And, and it just seems like every – everything with the exception of the 2015 season, which, you know, I mean, they, they did make it to the world series um, has been some sort of disaster in varying um, capacities. So I think having Cohen in there for Mets fans, it's the best thing that's happened to them in, in quite a long time. You know, they're rumored to be um, very strong after George Springer. Um, they're ru- rumored to be very hot after Trevor Bauer. Um, they've been talked about, as a JT Romuto destination, they've been talked about as um, trading for potentially and giving a long-term extension to Francisco Lindor, you know, so they're in the conversations with everything. And if they do less, if they make fewer than two impact moves this off season, I would be surprised. Yeah, I, I would too. In terms of the, the hall, uh, hall of fame ballot, um, anything on there that will surprise you and, as it pertains to St. Louis, I, I'm kind of seeing Scott Rowland take the Larry Walker trajectory. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I've had a vote. I've voted four times now. This will be my fifth vote. And I've kind of evolved my thought process a little bit. And part of it has to do with keeping guys on the ballot. As you know, if they fall below 5% of the vote at any time, they drop off the ballot. Well, remember back in Scott Rowland's first year, it was a packed ballot. There are seven guys from that ballot who were already on there, and that doesn't include Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, and, and, and a couple other guys. So you've got these packed ballots. You've got a 10-man minimum. Scott Rowland barely made it right. that first year. He finished with 10% of the vote. I voted for him, even though if I was just ranking 10 guys, he wasn't in my top 10 that year. But it's important to stay in that ballot. So that year I voted for Scott Rowland. And I voted for Johan Santana, and Santana mm-hmm. fell off, and Roland made it with 10%. And now this year he's trending at above 60%. So I think that's kind of validated to me my approach um, using votes to try and keep guys on the ballot. Because when guys like Jim Edmonds and Kenny Lofton and Ted Simmons and on and on and on, when they're falling off, without so much as a second time on there, that's just wrong. So I'm trying to use my vote every year to make sure guys at least stay in that conversation. For sure. The Edmonds one, uh, I've done a lot of research on that. Obviously, he's my partner on the games, and um, he won't talk about it because, you know, he's like, hey, that's just part of it, and that's life, and you move on. But I've said it. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer, especially when you look at Baines getting in recently and some of the others, and you start – comparing yeah. now it's it's era comparing which can get a little tricky but uh not to at least stay on the ballot is my point um i, I didn't understand that one yeah that, that's the thing is like mate is he a slam dunk hall of famer he's not inner circle he's not willie mays but is he better than some guys who were in there yeah yeah and does that mean he deserved to be at least in the conversation more than one time absolutely a hundred percent you know that's the thing that you know base, the, the baseball writers have tried for a long time to get rid of that 10 ballot 
our 10 vote minimum. Um, the Hall of Fame has kind of refused to do that. That's the reason it's still there. Um, and at some point, hopefully in the future, we're just we're allowed to vote. Do we think this guy's a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? Yeah. With no other qualifications. And that's the goal. And hopefully at some point down the road that happens. Hey, Ryan, what are you uh, working on it? I'll wrap it up with this at the Sporting News right now. You always have a unique look at some of the stories you do. I love them. So what are you, what are you working on now? I've got a couple of fun things coming up that are coming up uh, next week, probably. Um, one of them is I, I'm talking to folks who have had, who started unique baseball card collections during the pandemic. Like one guy decided that, okay, I'm going to um, collect as many Andre Dawson in an expos uniform graded PSA 10 because my best, one of my good friends who committed suicide a couple of years ago, his favorite player was Andre Dawson. So in honor of him, he's done that. Another guy decided that he was going to collect um, the cards of the first black players to break um, into each team. So guys like, um, you know, Jackie Robinson, he didn't get Jackie Robinson's rookie card, obviously, because that's really expensive, but you know, the first player to play for each team. So that's something I'm doing. I've talked to a couple of guys who um, started doing uh, card art, which is a, a booming part of the, the hobby at this point. But not only are they creating card art, but they're basically selling their uh, their product, their products for charity, you know, to give the proceeds to charity. So there's a bunch of cool things like that. And it's it's kind of enveloped in, or developed into a longer story than I anticipated to start with. Um, but that's something that'll come out next week, and I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News, as always, uh, thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and have a great holiday season. Great. Thanks. You too, Dan. Once again, thanks to Ryan Fagan. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Nice day. Sunshine in Southern California. Temperature expected to climb into the upper 70s and more than 60,000 once again. We'll look on at Anaheim Stadium. They're very hopeful of a big celebration when this day is done. I'm Al Michaels. Welcome to Game 5. The Red Sox are fortunate indeed that it's a best of seven. Were this the old days, the way the playoffs uh, were formulated through 1984 it would be over by now but they're still alive though they must win three straight and of course uh, the mathematics are quite simple the angels need win only one of three to win their first ever american league in terms of you know great memories in baseball uh, on the field uh, so many of them and maybe number one would be i think the fifth game of the uh, the 1986 american league championship series when you know the angels are trying to clinch the pendant for the first time ever uh, they have a three-run lead going into the ninth inning. Don Baylor, it's a two-run homer to make it a one-run game. Uh, the Red Sox are down to their last strike. Dave Henderson fouls off the pitch uh-huh. and with two strikes, hits one over the left field fence to give the Red Sox the lead. The Angels come up in the bottom of the ninth inning and tie the game and have the bases loaded with one out. And, and Doug DeCincy and Bobby Gritch coming up and they couldn't get them in. Red Sox win the game in 11, go back to Boston. They win game, win game six and seven. Uh, that game, uh, I think back to, um, I'd say the last hour of that game uh, between the top of the ninth inning and the the bottom of the eleventh inning was as dramatic as anything I can think of in sports. It was fantastic. It's why we love baseball. So if you're asking me for one memory on on the field, that was it. Best baseball game I ever saw. 
to left field and deep and down he goes back and it's gone. Unbelievable. You're looking at one for the ages here. Al Michaels gets the Ford C. Frick Award. Congratulations to him. You know, for our younger fans, they might not uh, realize that Al Michaels did baseball for a number of years with Tim McCarver, Jim Palmer on ABC. 82 postseason. He was on that for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he was exceptional. And so that was one of the great games that does not get talked about enough was uh, down to their final strike. Dave Henderson, the home run off of Donnie Moore, and then the Red Sox win that game, and they would win that series and then go on to face the Mets in the 1986 World Series, and then you had the Buckner play. So congratulations to Al Michaels. Still my favorite call, though. Do you believe in miracles? It's got to be the best call maybe ever in sports. Uh, Danny Mack from the 618. Do you think MLB will bring back doubleheader rule from last year? Love the show. Yeah, I do. Especially if we have a uh, delay in the season, maybe a way to get in 162 is that you would have more doubleheaders. So that is something I definitely think would be in play. I think the, the fans certainly enjoyed it. Um, and I definitely think the players probably enjoyed it too. You knock out two and one and you get to play seven inning games. I just like the fact that every pitch meant something. Uh, not to say that in nine inning games they don't, but in seven inning games there was something on the line. It just felt like a different game. It's some, it just felt like it was more on the line in the fourth and the fifth. I might be the only person you may know that didn't enjoy the seven inning doubleheaders. Why? I just it didn't feel like normal baseball to me. It was seven innings and you you could get a good team or excuse me a bad team with one good starter could just have him throw one seven innings throw seven innings and that's the game but if you could get to their bullpen say in a normal game the eighth there's a chance they blow it that's just kind of why i didn't enjoy it you could have a starter give you four innings and then it's up to the bullpen to your point and i i get what you're coming from some people didn't like it i i majority of people i heard from really did because for the most part they didn't like watching a three and a half hour game they, they liked the fact that it was done in two and a half hours and there was some drama to it. I can, I can feel them there. I'm, <laughs> I get tired sometimes on those three and a half hour games. I get you. Uh, let's see. The 314, why is the relationship between Major League Baseball and the PA so contentious? It always has been. Always. So just understand that going into what we're going to have in 2022. And recently, uh, the PA is lost. Uh, that's on them on some of these things. It's just they, they've lost in negotiations. Some of the things that they thought that they got didn't work out. Um, you can talk about attaching a pick to a free agent, those kind of things. It, you know, that all of a sudden a free agent is kind of hamstrung once he goes in the op- open market because one of the great currencies in baseball is, is young talent that's cost um, effective and people that you have under control cost control and so if you're attached with that you know the do you want that player at 90 million or are you saying well we'll take the pick and develop I mean that that's something you got to think about hey the blues um, real quickly here if you haven't heard so they they came up with the, according to Pierre Lebrun the new NHL divisions the blues would be with Anaheim Arizona Colorado Dallas LA San Jose Vancouver so a lot of West less uh, West Coast team. So later starts and Jeremy Rutherford was on the morning show uh, with Carriker and Smallman and talked about what this means potentially for the upcoming season. I do think that geography matters here, but I think more importantly, the league probably spoke with 
uh, the Blues, and also Minnesota. Uh, but even there, Randy and Michelle, I'm hearing conflicting reports. I'm hearing that originally Minnesota wanted to be out west, and now they're in the central. And, uh, and of course, obviously, Blues fans would like the team to be in the central because of those uh, start times. But perhaps there's a reason behind the scenes that, uh, that the Blues prefer uh, to be out west. So we'll find out. Uh, in the coming days, but just so many conflicting reports right now. So we'll see probably in the next 24, 48 hours, you're, you're going to get more of an understanding of what happens with the upcoming blue season and the alignment there. It is an all Canadian teams division as well because of the pandemic and going back and forth through the border. So they couldn't get that done. So you'll have all Canadian teams did mention it earlier, but Mizzou won last night. If you missed it, they were down and came back and they beat Liberty 69 to 60. So Mizzou is four and know and it sets up appointment tv this weekend man bragging rights game mizzou arena in columbia looking forward to that we'll cross it over with alex and bk and that's next on 101 more of what you want to hear scoops with danny mac in podcast form on 101 espn Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Alex Ferrario, BK, coming up next. We'll have the next three hours for you, taking you into the fast lane on 101 ESPN. All right, BK, you're always working. What do you got coming up? How we doing, Dan? Doing great. It's good to see you You? on this wonderful Thursday morning. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So we've got Dan Hayes coming up at 1130. He writes for The Athletic Minnesota. I want to talk to him about Eddie Rosario, one of the top free agents out there that I know we've talked a lot about in the past. I like him. Why was he non-tendered? What went into that decision? What is his next team going to be getting from him? We'll get into that coming up at 1130 with Dan Hayes, Joey Vitale at 1215. Lots of Cardinals between now and the end of the show. What was your biggest takeaway yesterday uh, from what John Mosellock had to say? I said it earlier, patience. Uh, I've been saying that from day one. I know that's not juicy, probably not what fans want to hear. But if you look across the board in baseball, even if you're a Cardinal fan solely, it's patience. I mean, even with Cohen in New York, he's got the deepest pockets of anybody. You see them going out and making a lot of moves right now? Not yet. Not yet. So it's coming. The other thing was that Mo talked about how in December, this is when we have the movement and it's the the winter meetings. And by this time, you, you've got player movement. He said he in his mind, January is the new December, at least for this year. So and we talked about that yesterday on your show. I, I said that exactly. I said, we're going to see that movement in January. And sure enough, it looks like that'll be the case. Is this good for the game? Well, I don't know if you're, you know, like Real Muto is a great example. And you look at McCann, who's going to get maybe a four-year deal. Are you paying for the player that's the best player, or are you just paying for value, right? I mean, you, you look at McCann and sabermetrically, there's a lot of things he does well. Real Muto is a better player. Um, are you paying for value? You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yep. Like, you're just trying to get the best bargains out there. I don't know if that's the best thing for the for game. people that don't understand what you're saying, it's basically like the, these teams look at whether it be wins above replacement or whatever their their organizational version of that is, right? Correct. Where they place a value on a player. And then what is the guy that's going to give me the best bang for my buck? So that's right. am I paying $10 million for a one wins above replacement player? No, that makes no sense. That guy's right. basically a slightly above league average player. If I can pay somebody else to be a league average player at $600,000, they're going to go with that guy instead every single time. It does take away a little bit for me of the enjoyment of the game because as a fan, I don't look at it that way, right? Yeah. I look at it as, point. hey, the $10 million player is better 
get him. That's my point. <laughs> but uh, for the teams, I do understand it's a business and they want to run it the most efficient way possible. Um, I, I think the bad part for the game right now is it, and it goes back to what we were talking about in the summer. I No one wants to hear about the CBA and the economics. And, and unfortunately, that dark cloud is going to hang over this upcoming season. It's going to hang over some of the moves that made this offseason. And as a fan, I don't think you really want to hear that. You just want to hear that, hey, Yachty's behind the plate. Oh, there's Paul DeYoung. What are the Cardinals doing? Oh, they got a big weekend in Chicago. You know what I mean? The general things I think that you get excited about as a fan. You just want to watch the game. Um, and this is a time of year for me. I, I love the hot stove league. I love it. Like, it's so much fun. The rumors, how teams are, are doing their business, but you're seeing player movement and there's excitement and there's generated excitement with it. And we're just not having that. So that part of it is not good for the game. It's hope trafficking, right? It's the yeah. same thing the NFL draft is. Every year, the top five teams in the draft, it's, it's hope trafficking. They are leading you to believe that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the savior of your franchise. Sure. It's going to be Justin Fields that turns things around, right? That's that's the carrot that is there for all of these bad teams currently in the NFL. It's the same thing for baseball. It's just it's the free agency route because the guys that you're drafting in July or whatever. Take five years, probably. Take forever to get right, to the three big to five years. So really, it's who's the guy that is going to become available that can help your team get better quickly. Correct. And it can happen really fast in baseball. We know that. But for the Cardinals and for teams as a whole right now, it feels like that carrot isn't there the way that it typically would be because of the financial restrictions that a lot of these teams are under. So I'm looking at all of these rumors and Dan, it's the same five teams every single time that a player is mentioned. It's the Blue Jays. It's the Mets. It's the Angels. Yankees. It's it's the same teams that are connected to all of these players right now, whether it be via trade or in free agency. I mentioned this with uh, Carriker and Smallman. I know we got to run, but the the non-tender guys look at where the non-tenders happen the majority of central central divisions it's in the middle of the country so you know your west coast teams your east coast teams maybe they have higher tv deals maybe they feel that there's more money coming in potentially even without fans initially those are the teams that are going to be aggressive and the funny thing is the teams that are most likely at least in my opinion based on what we've seen kind of around the country over the last eight months nine months now the teams that are probably most likely to be able to have fans in the stands are actually in, in the, the central, central division, division which right. is interesting. All right, BK coming up with Alex, and this is 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.